Do you ever wonder if your prayers are making it to heaven? Now, now, now listen, I know uh, that a lot of us here know the right answer to this, right? We've been in church long enough, long enough to know that the answer to that question is, of course I know that God hears my answers. And he, I mean, hears my prayers and that he answers my prayers. Well, let me remind you of something that we talk about here at Fellowship Asheville quite a bit, and it's this, that your head tells you what you know, right? But your feelings tell you what you believe. And the goal of our sanctification is to get our head and our hearts aligned to where what we know to be true and what we believe to be true are the same thing. Because a lot of times those are different. So you might know the right answer, but you might believe something else with your feelings. Now, Fellowship Asheville is a place where it's okay to give our real answer, the answer that we believe, the answer that our feelings are telling us. We don't have to give the right answer if we don't believe it. So let me ask you again, do you ever feel like your prayers aren't making it to heaven? Have you ever given up praying for someone? Maybe their change seems like too much. Has God ever led you to pray for something and then the waiting gets so long, you just stop praying. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes praying is hard. And, and here's why. Sometimes I don't feel like I need to pray about something, right? Sometimes I feel like I can handle it myself. Sometimes, too, I just don't want to pray, right? Because, because praying means that I have to stop whatever it is that I'm doing to pray. And sometimes I don't want to stop. And then sometimes, honestly, I just forget to pray, right? And I forget to pray in that moment because maybe I think that prayer is not so important. And y'all, listen, I know the right answer, right? I can, I can tell you countless times that God has answered my prayers. I know that God is faithful. I know that he hears my prayers and I know that he is for me. But yet still, sometimes I just don't pray. And I'm wondering if anybody else feels like me from time to time, because, because deep down in my soul, I think the reason that maybe you and maybe I don't pray is because we believe this. We believe that my prayers don't matter. Now, have you ever thought this? Have you ever thought, why pray? My prayers don't matter anyway. Maybe you thought it theologically. God is sovereign. He doesn't need my prayers. Maybe you thought it for one of the reasons that I mentioned above. Have you ever thought or do you think that your prayers don't matter? Have you prayed only to hear silence from God? Have you prayed just to see nothing change? Have you begged God to do something, but everything stays the same? If so, can we have a real honest moment right here? And give me a like so that I know we're not alone, so that you know you're not alone. Because listen, we're not alone in this. We're not alone when we believe and feel that our prayers don't matter. You're not alone when you feel like your prayers don't matter. As a matter of fact, that belief and that feeling is common throughout the history of our faith. You know, there's a, a particular psalm, and the psalms are these books in the Bible that, that are written to be sung in congregations. And in, in, in Psalm 44 says this, 
There's one verse in the psalm that says, and this kind of captures the whole theme of the verse. It says, Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself and do not reject us forever. And it's this psalm about feeling like your prayers don't matter and feeling like God is silent. Y'all, that's real. And that's in our Bible. And so today, here's what I hope happens. I hope today as we go through our passage in Revelation, I hope it brings all of us some encouragement particularly when we feel like our prayers don't matter. Now we're going to be in Revelation chapter 8. We're going to start at chapter, verse 1 in chapter 8 and go all the way through uh, chapter 11, about halfway through verse 14. So we're covering three and a half chapters of Revelation today. So get the kids a snack. All right, we're going to be here for a while. No, really, I think that the timing, we should be all right. Uh, but if you're wondering why we're covering so much, it's a good question. Because remember, I believe that Revelation was written here not so that we could predict the future, but so that we know how to respond when the future happens. And in these verses in particular that we're going to see today, it's going to be real easy to get bogged down on what does this symbol mean and what does this symbol mean. But remember, we're looking for the response, right? And so to properly see the response to these verses, we really need to see three and a half chapters in one chunk so we can see the response. Now, as I read these passages, you might also be wondering, why is he reading every passage? Because I'm going to be reading big chunks of this. And instead of just summarizing it and kind of giving you the big picture. Well, at the beginning of Revelation, there is this very sweet promise from God about this book of Revelation, this letter that was written to these ancient churches. And it says this, it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Now that's at the very beginning of Revelation. And so what God is saying is that there is a blessing for the one who reads these words aloud and there is a blessing for those who hear them as we keep what's written in here. And so y'all, I plan on reading every book of this, uh, every word of this book, every word of this letter for that simple promise of it being a blessing, a blessing to me and a blessing to you as you hear it being read aloud. And so as we continue in our series called Breakthrough, maybe your breakthrough is found in a blessing of hearing these words read aloud. Maybe it's found in, in the blessing of what we're going to read and study today. Maybe your breakthrough regards prayer when you've given up on praying. Well, let's dive in to Revelation. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter 8, verse 1 says this. It says, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal. Now, I'm going to stop here and trust me, we're going to pick up the pace in just a little bit. But I just want to remind us uh, where we are. Because remember, uh, Jesus was given the scroll and this scroll had seven seals on it. And so far, we've seen him open six of those seals. And then there was a pause, right, as John described the vision that we saw last week. Well, now Jesus is opening the seventh seal. And by the way, you're going to see this pattern repeated. There's going to be six things and then a pause and then the seventh and then six things and a pause and then the seventh. And here we see uh, Jesus open this seventh seal. Now, spoiler alert, what this seventh seal is going to reveal is seven trumpets of judgment, right? And each trumpet an angel is going to blow this trumpet and it is going to have a different type of judgment. And so the anticipation of these judgments causes a very unique reaction in heaven. Watch this. It says, And when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, to the best of my recollection and to the best of my ability to, to read and look through the scriptures, this is the only time that you see heaven be silent like this for this long. 
Now, what would make heaven go silent for half an hour? In the Bible, we see all kinds of pictures of in heaven, right? We see, we see heaven celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? That the shepherds are on the hill, on the hill, and then this choir of angels show up and celebrate the fact that Jesus has been born. We see hell, heaven celebrate the fact that when someone says yes to Jesus, there's a party in heaven, which we capture that sometimes when we do a baptism, right? Like that's what I love about baptisms. You go down in, in quiet and stillness and you come up and everybody's hooping and hollering and screaming. And it's, it pictures what happens in heaven when somebody says yes to Jesus and yes to his offer of salvation. We see heaven described as a wedding celebration. We see heaven described as a banqueting table, but here it's silent. Why is it silent? Well, I think it's because of what the seventh seal unleashes, what the seventh seal opens up. Because look at verse two. It says, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now here's what we see in this, in this chunk of scripture. We see these prayers, right? The prayers of the saints are the incense in this heavenly altar. And these prayers are the prayers of the people we saw last week. If you didn't get to see last week, go back and watch it because there you see these, these people who, who have said yes to Jesus and they're followers of God and they're in this really hard time called the tribulation. And they're praying, God, how long until we're vindicated? How long until your judgment comes on the earth? Particularly uh, to those who, who, who did these evil things to us. And see on earth, those prayers felt unanswered. Right, because they didn't get to see that judgment. They were killed for staying true to their faith. They were killed for, for, for saying yes to Jesus and then not turning their back on him. But in heaven, here's what's happening. In heaven, those prayers for justice and those prayers for vindication are filling up. And they're filling up this place just to be released at the right time. And what John is showing us is he's showing us when that time is. He's showing us what it looks like. Now look at what happens. And I'm going to go through these first trumpets, these first four judgments really quickly. In verse 6, it says this. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets uh, prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hell and fire mixed with blood and, and there were thrown upon the earth. And the third, of, the third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees burned up, and all of the grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet. And a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and that word means bitter or poison. And many people died from the water because it was made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. And then I looked, 
And I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So what happened is these trumpets released all this destruction on the earth. Right now, imagine being John and being in heaven and seeing this vision. Right, if, if you're familiar with, with Lord of the Rings, right, this, is, this is, is when the hobbit sees what could happen if evil spreads throughout the land. Now this is what John is experiencing. He's the guy who had these visions and God used him to put pen to paper so that, so that we could have them. And I would imagine as he saw these, he felt really scared, right? Like I know I would, I, I think you would too, right? Now, here's what gets even worse, right? If, if he wasn't scared by these visions of what was coming, this eagle flies over and tells him, whoa, 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 like here, here come some really bad ones. The next ones are called woes, right? And it's, it's like saying, John, if you think these first four are bad, just wait until you see what's about to happen because it's about to be really bad. Now, remember though, we're looking for a response as we see these. And so what is God communicating through John to us? And I think, I think there's an application here. And it's this, that when your prayers feel empty here on earth, right, they're actually adding up in heaven. And, and here's why I say this. All this vindication that we're seeing is a direct response to the prayers that were prayed by those people that we saw last week, the people who are suffering in these hard times in this tribulation the ones who didn't see the answer to their prayers, and the ones who were praying for vindications, the one who were praying for justice. Maybe the, they weren't intended to see the results of their prayers. Maybe the results of those prayers come later, and maybe that's the application for us. Maybe, maybe our prayers, the prayers which we pray that feel like they don't matter, the prayers which we pray where we feel like nothing's changing, maybe in heaven they are adding up. And they are adding up until, until the right time for God to move. Maybe the prayers we pray, which feel empty, are actually adding up in heaven. And they're being added to the people who have prayed for the same thing for generations. And maybe the people who will pray for the same thing for generations after us. Maybe all of those prayers are adding up. Because you see, church, here's what I think this, this application here is. Is that your prayers do matter even when it feels like they don't. Right, because we have got this heavenly throne room that we're seeing where those prayers were being added and added to this golden altar and this golden censer that was eventually released and judgment came. Well, let's look at chapter nine. It says, and, if, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of a, the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And then the fire from the smoke came uh, and, and from the smoke came locust on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions on earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who, had not, who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. 
And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and not find it. And they will long to die, but death will flee from them. Now, for those of you who are paying close attention here, you might notice something. There seems to be a discrepancy, right? Because in the first trumpet, all of the grass was destroyed. And here, in this trumpet, in this woe, the locusts are told not to harm the grass. And you might be wondering, how can this be? Well, remember, these are visions. And these visions don't incorporate time maybe the same way we're thinking about it. There could be a time jump between the, the first trumpets and this trumpet so that the grass has had time to grow back. But let's watch these locusts for a bit because, because they're some serious creatures, right? Like, like, like the, they, they sting with what feels like a scorpion sting. But before we do, I want you to notice who they're focused on. Right? They're focusing on those who don't know God. They're focusing on those who haven't said yes to Jesus. Now, there are times when I preach that there are verses that are really geared for the church. And there are times where I say, listen, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, I invite you to, to listen in. But this is really kind of a family meeting. We're going to talk about what it means to be the church and, and stuff like that. Well, this one is just the opposite. Like this one is saying, listen, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, you need to pay attention to this because this could be your future in some way. And so for those of you who are watching that haven't said yes to Jesus, let's keep reading because there's, some, there's something here for us. In verse seven, it says this, and the appearance of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold and their faces were like human faces and their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and, and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And they have as kings over them the angel of the bottomless pit and his name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Now, here's, here's, here's the emotion that you can feel as you're reading this and it's one of fright. And it's, and it's one of, uh, of being scared. You see, there's no question about it. This, these locusts are frightening and their leader is, is just as scary. His name comes from a verse in, in a book called Job, Job chapter 31. And it means that he's from this place called death. That's what the place is. And in Greek, Apollyon means to destroy. And so y'all, it's okay to feel scared when you read these. And here's the principle I believe that's being communicated here is this, is that God's judgment is scary. Right? God's judgment is scary. We serve a just God. And listen, listen, he weeps for those who suffer injustice. And we can't keep that uh, separated. When we talk about God's justice, we also have to know his heart. And we're going to see his heart behind justice here in just a minute. But we serve a just God and, and we can't skip over that. And he does weep with those who are suffering injustice. Remember, remember those who, who are praying for God's vindication. He had a special place in heaven for them. And he gave them white robes and told them to continue worshiping and to continue waiting last week. And he weeps with those who suffer injustice. And y'all, I can't talk about justice and injustice right now without thinking of what's going on in our country. Right, I, I think of, of Ahmaud Arbery. And, and when I wrote this, George Floyd wasn't even on the radar, but he is now. And maybe by the time this airs, there'll be another name 
that's thrown in there, where, where, where there are many people praying and begging and taking action to bring justice to injustice. And you feel this injustice in a very real way. We feel this injustice in a very real way. I feel it in a very real way. But honestly, the injustice that our black brothers and sisters feel is something that I can't understand. And I want you to, to, to know that, that, that as, as a white guy, I will never understand what it's like to be in your shoes. And you feel the injustice in a very real, intangible way. Your injustice is real. So real, as a matter of fact, that as you pray for justice and those answers keep going unanswered seemingly, that it's easy for, for you to give up. And it's easy for you to, to, to stop praying. Well, well, hear me. I know that those prayers are not falling on deaf ears. I believe with everything in my soul that your prayers matter. You see, God hears the prayers of his saints calling for justice, and he weeps with you as you wait. And this passage, because take courage, because this passage shows us that justice is coming. For those who make suffering of others and those who use, use power to bring about that suffering as their game and as their sport, justice is coming for them. And so for us, we pray for injustice to stop, knowing that one day it will. We pray for injustice to stop, knowing that one day it will. And so we pray for the, for the families and the systems uh, that allowed something like George Floyd to happen, that allowed something like Ahmaud Arbery to happen. And we pray for those changes to happen and we take action and we call the people and we write the letters and we do the things that we need to do and we, we participate in the marches and everything that we can do, but we keep praying. We keep praying because our prayers matter, because justice is coming one day. And when it does, God's judgment will be frightening. Let's keep reading. In verse 12, it says this, The first woe had passed, and behold, two woes are still to come. And the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river of the Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was, was twice 10,000 times 10,000. In other words, more than can be counted. And I heard their number, and this, was, this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of horses were like the heads of lions. And the fire and the smoke of sulfur came out of their mouths, and by these three plagues a third of mankind was killed. By fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths, for the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents in the heads by means of them, uh, by and, and with heads. So their tails were like serpents with heads and by means of them they wound. So one com commentator talked about a, a certain culture that had an army during this time that was known for something. 
and it's the, the, the Parthian army. And, and what this culture of warriors was trained to do is they were trained to actually ride backwards on their horses so they could fire their arrows at their enemies as they were, as they were in front of them. And, 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 and it's the, 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 there's this story about an enemy army pursuing them up a mountainside. And it looks like this army is fleeing. It looks like the Parthians are fleeing. And so this army that's chasing them thinks, we got them now because there's nowhere to go. Once they get up to this cliff, they're stuck. Well, what happened is this army was actually taking the better position. And the one chasing them didn't realize that. They thought they were leading them literally off a cliff. But instead, as they went up this mountain, all of a sudden, the entire army turned around on their horses. So the horses are still running up. And this entire army turns around and starts firing on those chasing them and utterly destroys them. That's the picture here is that there is, there is destruction. Right? But what I want to draw our attention to is something that we saw from the beginning. If you look back at verse 13 in this, you will see that these angels who released this destruction were positioned at the golden altar before God. Do you remember what was on that golden altar just a minute ago? The prayers of the saints were at that golden altar. See, this is the same altar in the previous chapter where the prayers of the saints were being added up. And collected, and here we see the power of prayer again. This justice that we see, this, this complete destruction of those who cause evil, this complete destruction was fueled by the power of prayer. Now here's something else for us, because we need to see the heart behind God's justice. Remember, I, I, I told you we're going to see the heart, why God does this. Why is this scary stuff happening? We'll look at verse 20 and 21. It says, And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot hear or talk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. And so even, even with all of this going on, it shows why God's judgment is so scary. And God's judgment is so scary because, so that, so that you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and so that we can see the reason it's scary is, is not just because of justice, right? That's what we want. We want justice and we want vengeance. But here's God's heart behind justice, and it's this, that God uses justice to lead to repentance. You see, God's desire is for all to repent, and repent means to turn to him, to turn from the evil ways that they were doing to using, using power and, and, and suffering as their game for others, to turn from those things and instead to turn to God. You see, he will show his kindness that leads to repentance, but he will also use justice to lead to repentance. Now, we need to under, understand this so that we can be praying for what God desires. My mom did a trip to Miami once. And so she's in Miami and she stops at this red light and she's got the windows down. It's in broad daylight and there are lots of cars around. These two guys come up to my mom's car. Since her windows were down, they reach over her. One of the guys reaches over her to grab her purse. And my mom, being the fighter that she is, grabs a hold of her purse and starts pulling back. This guy punches my mom in the face, giving her a black eye and a fractured nose. 
My mom was in her 60s at the time, didn't matter her age, she's my mom. When she called me and told me what was happening, what had happened, I was ready to get in the car and drive down to Miami and to find these two guys myself. What I was gonna do if I found them, I don't know, but I was mad. She told me not to come, she didn't even wanna see me because she looked so bad, right? And so I started praying. And let me tell you, I prayed some prayers for these guys, right? All of a sudden, all these psalms and lamentations about the vindication of God came to mind. And I prayed for fire from heaven to come down and consume them. Those were the prayers that I was praying. And as I was praying that, I felt like God didn't want me to pray for their bodies. He wanted to pray for their souls. And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. Send fire from heaven and destroy their souls, like just completely annihilate them. That, that's not what God was talking about. Right? He wanted me to pray for their repentance. He wanted me to pray for their salvation. And so I started to do that. I started to pray no longer from fire from heaven to come down and destroy them. I started to pray that they would repent of their actions and turn to Jesus. And my prayers started changing for these guys. You see, when we pray for justice, y'all, we can also pray for repentance. And so let me ask you, is there someone that you want justice for? Well, perhaps you can pray for their repentance. Maybe you can start praying for their salvation. Well, let's look. Let's look at chapter 10. It says, And then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun and his legs like pillows of fire. And he had a little scroll open in his hand. And he, he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out in a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven trumpets sounded. And when the seven, and, and, and when the seven trumpets had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard the voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever and who created heaven and what's in it and the earth and what's in it and the sea and what's in it and that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet's calls, but in the, days, in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel and who is standing in the sea on the land. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it, and it will, be, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will taste as sweet as honey. And I looked in the little scroll, the hand of the angel, and I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and kings. So y'all, this is a strange vision that John is telling us about, right? John heard something that he wasn't supposed to talk about. You know what this means? It means that our God is mysterious, right? That God is mystery. And here's what it means for us today. It means that we don't have to know everything about God to trust him, right? When your prayers go unanswered, and perhaps your prayers have been stilled because you don't see how this works, well, it's okay. Church, we can embrace the mystery of God. 
Because look where this goes when John embraces the mystery of God and he trusts him, because here we can see what happens when we do the same. Chapter 11 says, And then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar to those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it's given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, you're going to see a couple of times where you see 42 months, 1260 days, three and a half years. That's all the same thing. And, and I'm going to explain what that means. If, if not this week, I'll explain it next week. But, but, but just kind of keep in mind that means that God has a set time for things. Right? And so for 42 months, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. And so John is measuring this spiritual temple, right? And somehow it's connected to the physical, war, the physical world because he's told that, that the outside part is going to be trampled for that 42 months or three and a half years. But during those three and a half years, he sees something else that is mysterious. He sees these two witnesses, and we're going to see what these two witnesses do. And these two witnesses, the word for witness is the word we get martyr from. And so we already know, to spoiler alert, these, these, these witnesses are going to die because of their faith in Jesus. Now, I'll also tell you, spoiler alert, we don't know who these two witnesses are. Remember, God is mystery. And there's lots of people who have lots of speculations. But at the end of the day, we don't know who they are. But we do get to see what they do. And so let's look at what they do in verse 4. It says, and these are two olive trees and two lampstands. Olive tree is a sign, olive oil is a sign of anointing and, and lampstand is a sign of spiritual power. And so these two witnesses have this special anointing on them and they have this special power uh, from the Holy Spirit. It says, and these two olive trees and two lampstands, they stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. And if anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. And they have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and will conquer them and will kill them. All right, so here's what we see. We, we stop here because it looks like evil wins, Right? These two witnesses that have all this power, this beast, and we'll talk about the beast next week, this beast rises up and kills them. And so it seems like evil wins. But remember, justice is coming. Verse 8, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of a great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their, Lord, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze on their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because the two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. So in other words, it still looks like evil's winning. There's this great celebration. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And so, remember, our prayers are adding up and adding up, and there will be a time when God acts. And here we get to see that time. What I love about this verse, and it just kind of jumped out to me as I was reading it, that the, the verb tense that John is using is past tense. 
right? He's saying that the breath of God entered them, not that the breath of God enters them. So he's seeing this as it's already done. And maybe, maybe a lesson here for us is that God's justice has come, right? It is coming and it has come. Let's look at verse 12. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified. And guess what? Gave glory to God in heaven. And so we stop here because this is the response. It's been echoed in all these other verses. The response during these hard times, the response is repentance, right? That God desires repentance. And here we see it, that those who celebrated the death of these witnesses eventually give glory to God. They repented. This is our response, that we too would turn to God. And so if you're watching this and you haven't said yes to Jesus, these verses are written specifically for you. And, and I've heard people say that part of their, their journey to Jesus included the book of Revelation and included passages like this. And maybe this is your story. Maybe this is your time that you don't wanna be those who wait till the end to repent. You wanna, you wanna repent now and, 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 and turn to Jesus. That's what repent means. And so maybe this is your break, breakthrough saying yes to Jesus because he will go to this length for you to turn to him. And this is the depth of his desire for you to come to him. And so say yes to following Jesus today. Now, for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, for you, church, hear me. Your prayers matter, especially when they feel like they don't. You know what I've started doing this week because they have, they have sifted off of my radar is I've started praying for those two guys again in Miami. I've started praying for God to, to draw them to repentance and to, and to draw their souls to himself. I pray for repentance to come quickly for them. And so here's the question for you, who can you start praying for again? Who has, who has fallen off of your radar? What injustice needs repentance? Well, this week, what would happen if you started praying for them again? Well, today we're gonna close with a prayer time led by Brian and Janet Bridges and uh, their baby Ellie makes an appearance in here for us too. And so, so they're gonna walk us through a Psalm and pray together. And so I'm gonna turn it over to them and let them, let them pray with us. Thanks, church. I love you, and I love being the church with you. I'll see you over on Facebook Live and then Fellowship Kids Zoom Party and FSM tonight. Bye. Hi, we're Brian, Jan, and Eliana Bridges. Um, Jan and I were really excited when we were asked uh, to take over the leadership of the prayer ministry at Fellowship Asheville. During our first meeting with Fred, we talked about providing more opportunities for corporate prayer. Even though we're not meeting together physically right now, we know there's great value in joining together in spirit and asking God to work. We thought the best way to start would be to pray scripture together. Um, it's a wonderful way for us to make sure we're praying God's will. I've taken some passages from Psalm 36, beginning in verse five, and Jan's going to read those. We'd ask you to join her in that, and I will respond with prayer. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that your love and righteousness are demonstrated in the greatness of your creation. We gain a greater understanding of your love when we see the stars in the expanse of the heavens. 
We see the beauty and firm foundation of your righteousness as we gaze at the mountains. We better understand your justice when we see the depth of the oceans. O oh Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. We thank you, Father, that you're strong, a strong refuge for us. Help us to seek you and to draw closer to you as we face both difficulty and blessings. We thank you for your unfailing love demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them to drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Thank you for the feast you're preparing for us to enjoy in your presence in heaven. We ask you that you would help us to remember the treasure we have in the fountain of life that you, we can share with everyone that you place in our path. We pray all these things in the priceless name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for taking the opportunity to pray with us. We look forward to praying with you in person soon.